Welcome to another episode of The Caption Life, a podcast about how comics and pop culture impact life and society and vice versa. Coming to you from deep in the heart of Texas, I'm Kevin. And from Indiana, I am Sean. Before we get started with this episode, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on and follow us on social media under the username at Caption Life. You can also find out more information about us and past episodes at thecaptionlife.com. Absolutely. Guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode. You know, we're going to always bring you the best comics talk out there. Um, here in The Caption Life, we are lovers of all types of comics. But if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that I especially am a lover of a good crime thriller. Mm-hmm. And we recently got to read a really good one. And tonight we have the privilege of talking to the artist who did the work on it. Peter Krauss is a graduate of the University of Minnesota with a BA in both journalism and studio arts. He has previously worked full-time as an artist for DC Comics, where he drew Captain Marvel, Superman, and other DC superheroes, as well as the series Star Trek The Next Generation. He also co-created the comic Irredeemable with Mark Wade at Boom Studios, as well as the art on My Bad and Dragonfly and Dragonfly Man at Ahoy Comics. He's worked extensively as a storyboard artist and concept artist, and joining us from Minneapolis to talk about his smash hit, We Only Kill Each Other, for Dark Horse and Comicsology is Peter Krause. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Thanks for having me. Hey, thank you. We've been looking forward to having you on the show, so it's really excited to have you on here, especially with the release of We Only Kill Each Other um, that just came out, and uh, Kevin and I had a chance to read the uh, collection and it's really cool. So we're really excited to talk to you about that. Um, Whenever we have guests on the show, we always start off with the same question with every guest. And that is, what is your comic book origin story? Was there someone or something that introduced you to comics? And what was it that made you a comic book fan? You know, um, you know, I I probably at one point when I was quite young, I, I probably did come across a comic. Um, I did draw a lot when I was young, but our family um, moved from uh, one of the suburbs in Minneapolis when I was in third grade and we moved back into Minneapolis proper. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ended up hooking up with two other guys, um, Jim Collier and Tim Osterland. And we both liked to draw. They All of us liked to draw and they were super into comics mm-hmm. And um, this is, I mean, you know, I'm of a generation where also that the place that we moved into right around the corner uh, from our block was a drugstore Mm -hmm. and they had a spinner rack. And the guys that worked at the drugstore were huge comic book fans. Mm -hmm. So um, I had this great little group of people that were super into comics and and Tim and Jim and I would go to each other's house and draw and trade comic books back and forth. And, and, you know, that was such a nurturing, exciting time to, you know, get introduced to comics. Um, that's really the origin story right there. Nice. And how, how about, um, how that led into the career that you've had? Well, now that's a, that's a long story. (laughs) Um, (laughs) For one reason or another, you know, I grew up during the 60s and the 70s. So, uh, you know, um, I didn't know if I could really make a living drawing. Mm -hmm. And so when I did go to college, I initially, I always liked to write as well. So I initially just 
was going to focus on being a journalism major mm-hmm. and um, did pick up art classes along the way. But I really have to hand it to Lisa, uh, my wife. When I got out of college, I had, I had a job that had nothing to do with art. I wasn't picking up a pen or pencil or a paper for years. Um, when Lisa and I uh, got married, she was pretty well established in her career. I said, you know, there's something I've always wanted to try. And uh, she said, yeah, well, go for it. I mean, and it's, it was a different generation then, you know, um, college was relatively inexpensive. You could work a job during the summer and pay for college. We had no college debt. We had no kids. We had no mortgage. She was established in her career. So, you know, I would do odd jobs to pick up a few bucks here and there. And, uh, um, you know, really, uh, I didn't start doing this and making any kind of a real living um, doing this work until I was in my early thirties. So um, yeah, so there's, um, I give all credit to, to, to Lisa. Um, She's been very, very supportive. Awesome. And, and I, I kind of touched on some of the highlights of your, of your comic art career. Um, But can you give us, can you maybe just give us a, a rundown of some of the things you've worked on and maybe what's your, one of your most favorite things that you've worked on? Oh boy. Um, well, uh, you know, I did some black and white stuff during the eighties, um, worked for slave labor graphics briefly. Uh, you know, the first regular, um, gig that I really had was, uh, Star Trek, the next generation, um, for DC. And I got that after, um, they had these things called bonus books at the time for new people that wanted to break into the business. They'd mm-hmm. give them a little tryout, which would actually get published in a book. So I had a story that was published in an old uh, copy of Suicide Squad. Um, and uh, we also had people here in town in Minneapolis, uh, Dan Jurgens. Um, I got to know Dan before I got into the business. He gave me a lot of tips um, and, uh, and pushed my name once he figured that, uh, I was ready for it. So, uh, so yeah, so Star Trek, the next generation, then obviously power Shazam was definitely a, a highlight there working at DC, um, some Superman fill-ins birds of prey. Um, then, uh, you know, I had a, I've had a weird career. Uh, <laughs> I left kind of left comics for about eight years, um, worked more in advertising and it wasn't until, um, really irredeemable. I did a small story for an image pop gun anthology that Derek McCulloch wrote. And as a result of that, got back into comics, worked, um, on irredeemable for boom and, uh, you know, since then I've have done, you know, daredevil stories for Marvel and, um, have just kind of perked along here. Ahoy has been a great place to work. Uh, and, uh, done a Kickstarter with Chip Mosher, blacking out another crime story. So those are, those are some of the things I, my bad for Ahoy is, uh, out now trade comes out next month and I'm working on the second season of that right now. Mm. So there will be another, uh, five issue mini series of that. I'm very fortunate that uh, I've been able to keep busy doing it. Yeah, you seem you seem to be doing a lot of a lot of work, staying busy here. I guess uh, I wouldn't say later in life, but like you know, further into your career. 
You can say later in life. Um, I, I think, you know, this and this is the interesting thing about comics right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely saw the guys that were in the generation before me that I really idolized. You know, the Jack Kirby's, the Kurt Swans, um, you know, I was somewhat familiar with Kurt's story. Uh, he's, I got to meet him a few times. Um, mm-hmm. And they went through this kind of fallow period about the time, you know, in their 50s and 60s. Um, and, uh, you know, now there's so many more avenues to, you know, do comics. Uh, mm-hmm. There's so many more publishers. There's, um, there's you know, webtoons. There's just... Um, there's the bookstore market, Scholastic and Viz and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, again, I feel fortunate um, that uh, it's 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 worked that way. Uh, I'm I'm it was one of the things that I was always nervous about doing comics, but it's very fortunate that it's uh, it's worked out fairly well for me. Well, one of the reasons why we brought you on tonight is because we want to talk to you about one of your latest comic series, uh, We Only Kill Each Other, from Dark Horse Comics. And it was written by uh, Stephanie Phillips, and you were the artist on it. It was colored by Ellie Wright and letters by Troy Pateri. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of that story and how you and Stephanie came up with the idea for it? Sure. Um, So the synopsis of the story is it's 1938. Mm -hmm. Um, There is... You know, looking back now, we know Nazis are bad. Mm-hmm. During that era, that was kind of an unknown quantity. And there was there were people in the United States that were trying to get a American Nazi party going. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have the Jewish gangsters um, who are brought together under, I don't know, coercion, threat by the D.A., knowing that these Nazis and they perceived them as a threat. So it said, maybe we can use each other here. And um, Jonas and Levi Solomon are thrown together. They don't really like each other, but they're put in this situation where either they're going to go to jail or they're going to help the authorities um, make life miserable for the not the American Nazi party mm-hmm. um, in New York city. And, uh, that's where, you know, Steph was, you know, really had this, the story, um, fully fleshed out. Uh, she's, um, she's Jewish and she really is, uh, likes that era. And as she's explained in some of her interviews, um, in going into the, the Jewish past is something that, uh, she, um, is very, uh, energetic about. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it's, and I thought it was, you know, when I was presented with this, she had seen some work that I was doing for a, a prospective series with Ron Mars. And I think that kind of sold her on her, sold her on me drawing it. So that's when she approached me, um, in the summer of, uh, 2020 mm-hmm. about, uh, about drawing the book. And I was all for it. It's what Steph is, a wonderful collaborator and a mm-hmm. great writer and, um, you know, incredibly enthusiastic. If you're a comic book artist, that's what you want in, uh, in a collaborator. Uh, it's just, um, it was kind of a, it was a dream project. Definitely. Now, now you said 
Stephanie wrote the story. So I, I and I apologize. I think I read somewhere. I thought that both of you had came up with it, but it sounds like maybe Stephanie is the one that came up with it and she brought you yep. on board. To, okay. So I apologize yep. for that. I, I read somewhere that you two were like the co-creators. So that's why I assumed. So I apologize. <laughs> well, you know, artists are co-creators with right along with the, with the writers. Um, and it's, it's something where she would have, Steph is pretty um, visual in her writing. Right. But there were times where I'd go, Hey, what if we try it this way? And that sort of thing. And she was always very, very supportive of, um, you know, leaving the final call on the visuals to me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would always, you know, I want to run it by my art, my writer, or I should say not my writer, but the writer I'm working with on the, on the project. So, um, uh, so yes, artists are co-creators in comics. Right. <laughs> and, and that, and that makes sense. And I, I guess when I read it in, in, in that context, whatever, I, I thought they were talking about like who came up with the story necessarily, but yeah, definitely, um, definitely it, it's the co-creation that makes a lot more sense with the way you framed it now. So I apologize sure. for that. So no problem. Yeah. Yeah. And we are, we are champions of the, uh, artist receiving credit, um, mm-hmm. for their work here. Um, because we know like if, if you spend any time on uh, Twitter, especially and you get to you get to follow uh, some comic artists, you you know that a lot of times when there's a story in in news media that talks about a, a series or whatever, they oftentimes mention the writer. But they a lot of times they fail to mention the artist who, because of the medium, are, you know, they're equally important. <laughs> well, right. I, yeah, I mean, I, I know the analogy has been made before, but. And, and it doesn't, you know, completely work because comics are, you know, a different medium than film. But there's a lot of there are similarities between a director for a movie and the comic book artist doing a comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, one artist put it this way is the writer tells me, the artist, the story, and then I tell the story to the reader. Now, mm-hmm. I don't want to completely cut the, the writer off from all of this because there's dialogue and all mm-hmm. that sort of thing, too. But it's 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 an educational thought to have about, you know, how comics are made. Mm-hmm. No, that's a that's a great analogy. Yeah, um, that's very good. So you you mentioned you mentioned filmmaking and the the setting of this this comic being the late thirties there is a there's a very cinematic um, appeal for what you've drawn because of I guess maybe it's our it's the it's the way we understand um, like gangsters in the in that period of time what was what was your favorite part of creating um, a period piece like this for the page um, when it came to I mean, you know, maybe the setting and the, and the, the, maybe the cars or, or whatever. What was, what was your favorite part of, of this, of this uh, piece of work? Well, you know, the research before you even draw is always interesting to kind of uh, go through. And, um, you know, now we have the internet, which is a big help. Um, Obviously when I started, that wasn't the case. You'd have uh, swipe files and you'd have to, rely on those kind of things. I still like to get a couple of books um, to kind of flesh things out. The fashion is always very interesting to me. What people wear is always fun to draw. I think Uh, I think about this era and then maybe like, you know, the 1970s, um, those kind of that kind of clothing is 
I find very enjoyable to 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 draw. And then you know the settings and the cars. I know there's you know, the kind of a oh, common idea that uh, comic book artists don't like to draw automobiles, um, but uh, those kind of those cars are a lot of fun to draw. Mm-hmm. And um, there is a guy on one of the YouTube channels that just interviews people that have restored old automobiles. And that was great because you'd spend, he would spend, uh, you know, 20 minutes talking to the person. They would pan all over the automobiles and that sort of thing. And so that was, you know, wonderful for. Is that um, where you got a lot of your reference from? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, That's how, you know, we got the um, car and the model was kind of, um, escaping my mind right now but with the suicide doors that open that's one of my favorite images yeah. from the story is when he's hanging out the suicide door shooting the gun at the people that are chasing him mm-hmm. oh that was so and when, when you when you're an artist and you're trying to figure out the problems of the storytelling and you come across something like that mm-hmm. and that light bulb just kind of goes mm-hmm. off that's like that's like gold um that just says oh this is going to work so well with you know what step has here so uh mm-hmm. yeah that those those type of things. I do really like to do um, stuff uh, like this, especially from, you know, kind of that era. And, you know, I, I had done the Archie 1941 um, series not too long before this. Uh, so I was, you know, somewhat familiar with the era even before I, I started on, we only kill each other. So in, in reading the comic, there seems to be a lot of parallels that resonate with what we're seeing in the world today. So, for example, we'll talk about the rise of American Nazism in 1938. And it seems like that has also kind of made its resurgence lately. Um, and a lot of other things that kind of, you know, ties into what it means to be, you know, um, a patriot with the, like multiple identities and and things like that. And so we were kind of curious if. um if there was like some sort of social commentary that you and Stephanie were hoping to achieve with this story while you were writing, if, if it was supposed to be, um, you know, a commentary on what we're seeing today, or if it's just like completely coincidental, or if you were hoping to, you know, kind of interweave some of the things that we're seeing today and, and using this story as a way to kind of talk about, you know, how things looked, um, you know, back then and, and what we're seeing now. Well, I mean, you know, first thing you do want to do with a comic book is tell a good story. You certainly mm-hmm. don't want to be a polemic where you're just pounding people over the head, but you know, the, the parallels, you just can't ignore mm-hmm. um, what was going on then and going on now. And, you know, I think um, I was thinking about this today um, that, you know, the, the, the struggle or the fight for, for fairness, for empathy, for opportunity, that those, those struggles are never over. Mm-hmm. You, we're we're going to, you constantly have to, good people have to come to the fore and do good things and, and great things and courageous things. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I would, you know, love to say that you know world war ii and how that ended and that was 
you know, the end of Nazism. And I think for a long time, for a generation, we thought that that was the case. Right. And um, yeah, it's, it's disheartening Mm -hmm. uh, to see that that is not, but I think what it just means that those of us who, you know, I guess, for lack of want to want to fight the good fight, want to make the world a better place, have to continue to, you know, to do the best that we can mm-hmm. um, to make sure that that continues on. So, uh, so if anything, that's, you know, maybe that's the, the larger um, theme or idea that will come out of it. Yeah. Is there anything that, that you gave special consideration to when um, when doing the the art for the book in terms of the the um, subject matter, um, I mean because you know there's some imagery in the in in the book that you know that harkens back to um, you know the the war and it also you know mentions the atrocities that were carried out by the Germans during the Holocaust and whatnot. But was there any, is there any certain like uh, approach that you use to, um, to, to paint this picture uh, given the, the subject matter? Yeah. Well, you know, at, at the time when this um, starts in 1938, um, how far along those atrocities and obviously they weren't known um, in the U S so that isn't, really a um a topic of the story that we're drawing or writing here Mm -hmm. uh obviously we know that in hindsight right um you know i'm i think that you just as far as tone of a comic i am i think if you look at my other stuff as well i'm not a big fan of me drawing every bad thing that happens to the characters in there. There's there's several instances of violence in We Only Kill Each Other, Mm -hmm. and a number of them you're either obscured from seeing or it happens off panel. Right. I think that's very effective storytelling. Mm -hmm. let, Let the reader think about just how bad this could be. And mm-hmm. somehow that ends up being even more powerful, maybe even scarier than if I were to, you know, um, to delineate every blood splat or broken bone. Uh, I think that works pretty well for storytelling. And it's something that, you know, Steph um, would do in the scripts as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So if if you're t- talking about a way or that I would handle that kind of thing, that's no. I think that's an I think that's an in, an interesting way to approach it. The um, you know, like there's a scene where I I think that where Solomon is is closing the doors and something is happening. Something is happening to a character behind the the doors. It's it is like a it is a way to um I guess illustrate the seriousness of of the violence without having to to show it. And I think I think it's done a couple of times to like maximum effectiveness w- within the story. Well, thank you, thank you. In fact, I was looking at that sequence today, and um, Steph originally had it with um, 
you know, the guy who is the ends up being the uh, the butt of the violence, so to speak, mm-hmm. trying to indicate um, by a gesture or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that might be tough with his hands hide, tied behind him back. So we pulled back to see the Shabbat meal. And, you know, the victim is saying, but, you know, this is the Sabbath. You can't be doing this. Right. And uh, <laughs> so yeah. he. Obviously, spoiler alert. So he turns the gun over to one of his hired goons. And then I like that, like you said, that last scene on that on that page of him closing the doors. It's like, him, you know, it's like him wiping his hands of mm-hmm. of his any guilt or any blame. Right. Um, that, I think that. Yeah, I think that worked pretty well. Right. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and especially, um, you know, I, I think that the, uh, there is a lot of great heritage moments that come into play from um from Judaism as well too because just like what you said like you know Levi is probably more of the uh traditional uh Jewish person where it's it's he's probably you know looking at it from a little bit more of a rigid laws and stuff like that so just like what you said with that symbolism of the door shutting um of him you know wiping his hands clean of it and everything like that I think you know does a great job of kind of adding on layers to what that image means as well too so i love that idea so um, thanks thanks yeah and steph was great with um giving me as much of uh um the jewish traditions and how they would be presented visually Mm -hmm. um as i wanted so that's awesome I I, i actually think it's a really interesting commentary on um like how we treat religion and how we embrace the parts of religion that like suit us um, but like in, in Solomon's case, like he doesn't have any, he doesn't have any qualms about like, you know, killing somebody or, or having somebody killed. I mean, he doesn't want to pull the trigger on the Sabbath, but the dude ends up dead either way. And mm-hmm. it's just one of those, it's just one of those things that like, you know, a lot of times, a lot of times we cherry pick what we want, uh, oh, yeah. to what we want to follow in our religion because it suits us. Right. And that's an interesting, I mean, you, if you were using that, uh, um, reasoning, you might say that Jonas is the more honest person because he just doesn't want anything to do with his heritage. Right. Although he comes around a little bit more. Yeah. He's like, I'm Jewish in name only like his, his, his attitude towards it. He's not embracing it at all. Correct. Right. Yeah. Well, and it it has, you know, those different kinds of layers because Judaism is definitely the religion part. Then there's the, um, you know, the, the racial aspect as well too. So I, I think that's the part with him. Like he doesn't embrace the Judaism of the religion, but he still identifies as a Jew in terms of, you know, being belonging to a group of people. It, it's really oh, fascinating. I mean, it really is. So, oh yeah, that opening sequence mm-hmm, pretty mm-hmm. much shows that. So. Right. Yeah. I, Peter, there is something in the book that I, Absolutely loved. And I got to say, I didn't really make this connection until I did something. And and um, I'll say that in, it seems like in, in the first page of every issue, um, there is like a lettering, you know, splash panel or splash page that says, um, you know, woke on it. And it looks like it's almost like in the uh, exclamation point because it has like a little O at the bottom, like the dot. And I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And then it didn't hit me until I think I was texting somebody or or posting something in discord where i decided to abbreviate we only kill each other mm-hmm. but then as i was typing it out i saw and, and putting it in initial form i saw that it said 
W-O-K-E. I was like, oh, that's what that is. I was like, that makes mm. a lot of sense now. So I don't know if that was like intentional or if that was something that um, is just, again, kind of coincidence or not. Boy, I think that might be coincidence. <laughs> I just looked way too much into that, didn't I? <laughs> okay, now I'm now I'm really curious. I'm gonna, I'm going to have to go look through things and and see that. So yeah, yeah, it's like the first, um, you know, it's like that first you know, splash page where it says it has the initial W O K E, but then at the bottom, it didn't quite look like an O. It's the second O. Yeah, and we only kill each other, but it looks like it says woke with a with a period at the end. Right. Uh-huh. It, it kinda, and because it's the letters are going up and down, it almost forms a exclamation point. Yeah. So that's on the first issue. The first, it's it's either the first, first or second. I think it's like the last page in all of them. Okay. It's the last, it's, it's, the last it's like, page a, it's the first like a logo. Page. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like a logo okay. in that. Yeah. <laughs> so all right, now I'm going to have to relook, look through that and see that. So, <laughs> I I will admit that I thought it said woke like an exclamation point at first as well, but okay. then I realized it was W E K or W O K E O. Yeah, yeah. Hey Peter, when you were when you were preparing for the um the to to do the art on this story, did you did you watch any old gangster movies to uh, to help you prepare? No, I didn't. Um, I, I really didn't watch anything that I can remember right offhand. Um, might've been some, uh, series or something, but I can't recall, um, actually watching anything, uh, in particular, most of the stuff that I, when I do research on these things, I either look at printed material, um, or in this case, um, I did watch a number of like newsreels from the era. Because I'm at at that point, I was more interested in trying to get again the environment and all that sort of thing uh, down. Steph gave me, you know, a great template with the story. I didn't feel like I really needed to um, go into any other movies and that sort of stuff to uh, to get the, the get the feeling and everything. I was again a lot of old newsreels, which are available on YouTube. Okay. Uh, those were those are a big help. Mm-hmm. The reason why I ask is if you would have watched some old gangster movies, it would have helped you prepare for the game that we're about to play. Oh, <laughs> the game. <laughs> Which is called We Only Shoot the Pictures. I, I was inspired by, by your, uh, your story, We Only Kill Each Other, to, to create a little game where I, I'm going tr- to quiz you and Sean. You're going to pitch you against each other. I'm going to quiz you and Sean about old gangster movies from the 1930s. I'm going to show you uh, my screen, which if you're, if you're listening to this, go and check out the YouTube video so that you can see the, the questions. But I'm going to show you my screen, and Peter, I'm going to let you go first. It's going to be a multiple-choice question. I'm just going to describe a movie, show you the poster, and, and ask you to guess the name. Okay, I'll All do right. my best. <laughs> so here we go. This is our, our game of the week. We only shoot the pictures. I wish Gabe Hardman was doing this instead of me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Question number one. Two young Chicago hoodlums rise up from their poverty-stricken slum life to become petty thieves, bootleggers, and cold-blooded killers. But with notoriety and newfound wealth, the duo feel the heat from the cops and rival gangsters both. What's the name of this classic caper? Is it A, two for the money, B, the public enemy, or C, brothers in arms, or D, Chi-Town? 
Well, that's James Cagney there, right? So it I'm is James say Cagney. Public, I'm just going to say public enemy. The public enemy is correct. Very good. Mm-hmm. Peter, you got the first oh, one right. I got one right. <laughs> a sigh I'm relief. so happy. <laughs> All right, awesome. Sean, you're Sean, you're next. And Peter, I, if he doesn't get this, you can you can come in for the steal. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After World War One, friends Eddie, George, and Lloyd return to America with ambitions for the future. Eddie and George become partners in crime, but the stock market crash destroys their operation and turns old friends against each other. While Eddie falls in love with Lloyd's girlfriend, Jean. What's the name of this classic caper? Is it The Doughboys, B, Ruthless as Ever, C, The Roaring Twenties, or B, or sorry, or D, Blood Debt? Uh, you know, I absolutely have no idea, so I'm just going to go with A, The Doughboys. That is incorrect. Peter, would you like to take a, a guess? <sighs> After World War One. I'm going to go Roaring Twenties. The answer is the Roaring Twenties. Nice. Another James Cagney classic. All right. There you go. Well, Peter, you got a, a commanding lead, two to zero. And it's back to you. Okay. In one of New York's toughest neighborhoods, Hell's Kitchen, Rocky gets caught up in racketeering while his buddy Jerry decides to become a priest. When Rocky needs a temporary safe haven from his life of crime, Jerry hesitates. Testing their friendship. What's the name of this classic caper? Is it A, Saints and Sinners? B, The Road Not Taken? C, Laying Low? Or D, Angels with Dirty Faces? Angels with Dirty Faces. That is correct. Angels with Dirty Faces. <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, this is the one that, uh, this is the one that from Home Alone that they based off the, uh, the the fake gangster movie the, the in Home Alone. Movie. This is what it's based off of. Yeah. I believe so, yeah. Okay, so three to nothing. It's going to take a monumental showing from you, Sean, but we're going to move on. Question number four. I can do it. Aspiring small-town criminals relocate uh, to Chicago to hit the big time. While Rico makes a name for himself in the underworld, Joe decides to leave the life of crime and venture into show business. Can Joe and Rico remain friends as their choices take them down dramatically different paths? What's the name of this classic caper? I Is it A, it. Little Caesar? <laughs> B, Against All Odds? C, A Better Tomorrow? Or D, A Seat at the Table? Ah, uh, you know, and that poster looks very familiar, too, so I'm kind of kicking myself. Um, I'm leaning towards Against All Odds. That is incorrect. Okay. Would you like to take a guess, Peter? Little Caesar. It is Little Caesar. Man, uh, Peter, you're way better at this than I you know. let on. He, he, was, he was real nervous about this, and he's not even waiting <laughs> com- to, like, you know. He's completely I, dominating. He's Here's ringing. Deal, he's yeah. a ringer. <laughs> the visual cues are well worth it. Let's put it that way. Okay, yeah. good. Yeah. Good. That makes sense. Uh, he Peter has the Michael Jordan of um, gangster <laughs> movie trivia now. Okay. Uh, you know what? I'm going to give Sean, since Peter's kicking your rear end i'm gonna give uh i'm gonna give uh sean another shot at being first on this one uh, it doesn't matter i'm probably not gonna get this one anyway <laughs> <laughs> brick davis is a new york city lawyer who is supported by a local mobster when his buddy is killed by gangsters davis decides to take up the badge himself in order to bring the criminal to justice what is the name of this classic caper is it a the payback b vengeance is my name c g men or d crossing the line uh, the payback. 
The payback is incorrect. Ah, see? Ah, my gosh. I, Peter, I, would you I like... Never, I never watched these movies growing up. So I've I never no seen idea. a single one of them. I yeah. just found, a, <laughs> found an article on the top gangster movies from the 1930s. Okay. I just had to get creative. What do you <laughs> think, one? Peter? Uh, I'm going to say Crossing the Line. That is also incorrect. This is G-Men. It is G-Men. Oh, I was thinking about that. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Two to go. All these Peter, are like ja- James Cagney movies. Yeah, James, too. Uh, James, Cagney James Cagney and um, who else was on these? Uh, Edward G. Robinson. Yeah. Uh, Douglas Fairbanks. They were all big time gangster movie stars. Uh, Humphrey Bogart as well. He's is going to be in a couple of these. Uh, he's in this one. So uh, mobster babyface Martin returns home to visit New York, the New York neighborhood where he grew up. He crosses paths with Dave, a childhood friend struggling to make it as an architect and a gang of young boys roaming the streets of the city's east side slums. What's the name of this classic caper? Is it A, Dead End, B, No Place Like Home, C, Devil of the South Bronx, or D, Midnight in Manhattan? Whose turn is it? Uh, It's Peter. (sighs) So, Dead End. It is Dead End. (laughs) <laughs> it is dead end man Peter's peter totally is using that book to kind of shift through <laughs> that he was telling us about <laughs> all right sean just for your just for some respect I, no La- not even last that. one <laughs> tony is an ambitious and reckless gangster on the rise in chicago when he takes out a rival gang he draws the ire of his boss johnny who orders him killed when the hit backfires tony finds himself even closer to becoming king of the city What's the name of this classic caper? Is it A, the Windy City, B, Logan Boulevard, C, No Good Deed, or D, Scarface? For some reason, I'm leaning towards the Windy City for this one. The Windy City is incorrect. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) See, I told you. I had no idea. I feel like I saw the Windy City poster like this, but it must not have been it. Boy, this one I I would just be getting guessing. Um, if it helps, the name Tony is a big hint. So this isn't the older Scarface, is it? It is indeed the old, the original Scarface. Mm-hmm. Okay, there we go. Yep. So that was a pretty good showing, but by, by you, Peter, you really know your your gangster movies of the nineteen thirties. Oh, I was lucky. <laughs> That, sometimes that's why they made you the artist for we only kill each other. Yeah, sometimes sometimes luck is better than uh being right. <laughs> being lucky beats being good a lot of times. That's that's the way I should put it. I don't know if I've ever went completely zero on a game that we played before. So That was that was Sean's first uh shutout. Shut out, yeah. <laughs> no show. Being shut out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't feel bad about it. Don't feel bad. <laughs> This the bad thing is is that he'll have to come around and do I do this to them every every time we um we interview somebody so eventually mm-hmm. he's gonna have to like dust himself off and get back in there and play another uh, play another <laughs> round with somebody at some point yeah yeah well excellent and I'm so glad that you had the posters there because those those were a big help yeah yeah the the games on this show is kind of like my creative outlet um for let's say there were seven questions so there were twenty um twenty one wrong answers that I had to come up with. Mm-hmm. And I and I got you, you guys good, on a couple of them. Yeah, you did a good job. <laughs> yeah. I, I I like those. Uh, so yeah, that was it. Was a lot of fun for me to put it together, and it's all it's you know, Sean. Sean, when we started playing games with each other, uh, playing games with our guests, 
won like five or six in a row and um it's yeah. kind of it's kind of good to see him humbled now <laughs> well it was really <laughs> weird because half the time i was just guessing so i'm like i had no idea you know that was i was even right on that so mm-hmm. i feel bad because we had somebody on the show where i literally had like every question right and most of them <laughs> i was guessing and i felt so bad for yeah. her so yeah. that was as equally that was as equally as brutal as watching you like um nosedive today yeah oh yeah <laughs> That was brutal. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard when it's one sided. So, yeah. Well, Peter, thank you for being a good sport on that, uh, and thank you for coming on the show. Before we let you go, um, can you uh, uh, let everybody online, let our listeners know where they can find you and your work online? Um, well, the best place you can find me is on Twitter. I'm on there pretty much uh, all the time while I'm working. Uh, my handle on Twitter at least until Elon Musk takes over is uh, <laughs> Peter G Krause. Um, and I do have a website, Peter Krause illustration. That's fairly old and probably more for my adverti- advertising clients, but that that's there on the web as well. So no Facebook, no Instagram. That's it. Well, we will make sure to put that link in uh, with the episode and that way, uh, you know, we follow you on Twitter. So hopefully you can, when this comes out, you get some other people interested and, and go and follow you as well. That wraps up another episode of The Caption Life. We hope you enjoyed listening. Don't forget to smash the subscribe button on whatever major podcast platform you listen to us on. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Caption Life. If you like what we're doing, give us a shout out. Tag us in your posts. For more information about us and all of our previous episodes, please visit thecaptionlife.com. Until next time, stay safe. Peace out.